We know it's a disaster now, but where did things go wrong for Boston College? It seems like everything changed from having some solid expectations, and I know I'm guilty of having that, to we're now one of the biggest laughing stocks in college football. What happened? Where did it go wrong? I'm going to be joined by Mitch Wolf today, and and we're going to talk all about that on today's episode of Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is Locked On Boston College. AJ Black here. Thank you for making Locked On BC your first listen every morning. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this this team. I mean, yesterday I I got in self and how depressing it was, and just it was just sad. And I and I use Zay Flowers as a perfect example of just how beaten down this team has. But how did it get here? How did we get from preseason projections? And I know I said I had eight wins. I saw someone blaming me for this, which I, is an interesting choice. Uh, <laughs> uh, but eight wins to now this is one of the worst teams in college football. Where did this just fall apart? And to join me, I couldn't think of anyone better than it's now Tuesday with Mitch Wolf this week. Mitch, how's it going? Doing good. Uh, you know, as good as you can, you know, obviously we were very wrong in our predictions. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, this is a loss rivaling that of the 2015 Wake Forest game. Um, I think you can make the argument that it was a worse loss, you know, even though I think, well, I think you can make have a decent debate as to whether this team or the 2015 BC team, specifically the offenses, is worse. Um, that defense was obviously better. Uh, but in terms of just, I mean, the beginning of the game was at least interesting. You, know, you had some explosive plays, some turnovers, but... Man, I mean, I'm I'm watching. I'm rewatching the second half right now, and it's just a slog. Like, just just nothing happening. I mean, this is just bottom of the trash can football. Yeah, it's it's bad. And as we said yesterday, like I I, I don't blame any of y'all if you don't want to listen watch any more of these games this year because mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to cover this team, and I, you know, by the third quarter, I have like you know toothpicks holding my eyeballs open. So, um. Yeah, so let's let's dive into this, Mitch. And, you know, when you're looking at this team, you're looking at the issues that really plagued this season. One, obvi- you know, we could have, you know, we've beaten it to death. We have beaten to death the offensive line. And that's not going to be one of our things this, this week. Because, you know what, it, it's the biggest thing. It's the elephant in the room. But there's other pieces that go along with that. And the piece that goes along with the offensive line is that, yeah, you lost some guys on your offensive line, but the bigger issue is that the coaching staff, John McNulty, Googs, and Jeff Halfley have not been able to adapt at all to what they have. You, They have not been able to find anything that works. And to be fair, I don't feel like they haven't, but I don't think they've tried much in terms of anything different. They just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mitch, talk a little bit about this. Yeah, I mean, offensive line is very funny because it's not funny. It's just uh, unique because, you know, there's obviously once you start running out of bodies, there's just not a lot you can do. And, you know, 
they're down to get there. Like they, you know, you said they're not doing a lot. You know, they are putting different guys and, you know, Jude Bowery did finally start this game. They kicked Conley inside the guard, uh, but then Nick Thomas had to come in because Bowery got hurt and he had a rough day. And I think Ozzy Trapilo is still struggling through his injury. So, because his play has kind of regressed in recent weeks, um, you know, even mm-hmm. from the Clemson game where he was decent, but against an all world talent and against Wake Forest, he wasn't that great. And he had some struggles against UConn even. So he's regressing. Uh, you know, Kendall, I think is also playing hurt. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the thing that like one, the one very like minutia thing that I've seen is like, they still like have the offensive line start a play in a three point stance, even when the offense is like shotgun four wide, which is a very weird thing to do. Even And I get if it's an early down, like you want to at least give this the appearance that it could be a run, but you know, for these guys that are struggling with footwork and like getting out of their stance into their set, you know, just, just give them a three, give them a two point stance, let them stand up kind of straight so they can, you know, get moving a little more easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of just general scheme, like, you know, watching this game, you still see like these deep passes, these long developing plays. And I get that that's where filter Kovic is most effective, but uh, I mean, you know, I've said like, you know, at some, sometimes you are going to have to just drop back on a standard pass, like in the, in the, in like BC's two minute drive before the half, like they had to just drop back and pass and you've got to have longer developing routes because you need to get down the field and out of bounds. So I, I get it there, but, and you know, the offensive line just can't execute those at times, but you know, there are other times when you can absolutely like, you know, do some different things. And like I said, a few weeks ago, you know, a lot of times it's just one thing is always going wrong. Like if they do, you know, block it well, you know, you know, Phil panics or the receiver drops the ball or, or Phil makes a bad throw. So, you know, I think that, you know, it's very, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure how you would try to distribute blame here because I think some of it does fall on guys just not executing what they're being asked to, but then also the coaches being like, okay, like we know this guy or this set of guys is struggling to execute and they're just not doing enough. And, you know, I, I tried to, you know, at least we tried to at least give it some time for that. And I think that there, there was some frustration with the lack of changes early on, but you know, you were trying to, you were putting different guys in the lineup because of injuries. So, you know, you didn't really know what you have. And I think at this point, like you kind of at least know who's going to be playing. So now you have a better idea uh, as to, you know, what this group can do. And I, I get it. It's not a lot. And I think that they're just trying to, you know, see like, okay, like maybe our offense can hit some plays, you know, get lucky and they just haven't gotten lucky at all because it, it's just, everything has gone wrong to this point. But yeah, I mean, it is frustrating to see the coaching staff, not really, you know, with specific regard to the offensive line, because I think you have seen some other adjustments you have seen, uh, you know, they put six offensive linemen on the field. They, they tried that. They, even yep. against UConn, they went four wide a lot. You know, you saw, you've seen them finally get Phil involved in the run game. And unfortunately that got him hurt against UConn because he got, uh, flipped over but you know you, you have seen some you know different wrinkles with the offense you know some of those trick plays that they've tried the screen game has really improved uh specifically to, like throwing to running backs so you know they are trying different plays but you know i feel like they're just not doing enough to help the players on the field specifically the offensive line right and you, you see you saw like and i know you're still re-watching the yukon game but you saw um i was mentioning this on yesterday's episode with with Dracovic, it's the long developing plays, and with mm-hmm. Moorhead, they just got him and got him the ball out quick. Well, even that, like on his first play after Dracovic got hurt, it was third and seven, and they had yep. him throw a deep ball. And I was like, like, come on, like that's not how. And I get it was right. to Zay, but it was still in double coverage. And I mean, he he overthrew it, so it wasn't in danger or any or anything. But that's, I mean, even though it's third down, like that's not the kind of play that you give to a quarterback on his first action of the game. Like 
you know, the defense might see it coming, but like throw a screen, throw a quick pass, do an RPO, do just throwing like a deep ball down the sideline. is not what you do. Even though, again, I, I get that Emmett Moorhead is also kind of like that longer developing passing, you know, pocket passing quarterback. But I just thought that was a really strange play call for a quarterback's first play. And, um, and while we're talking the offense, um, I'm going to put up Chris's comment. Chris on YouTube says, to me, it's pretty obvious what went wrong. Halfley hasn't placed an emphasis on recruiting up front on both offensive line and D-line. Tom O'Brien averaged eight wins per season because both lines were stout. So I want to address the second one because I, I, don't, I don't really agree with the defensive line because I, I think you've got a lot of guys in the roster. And honestly, I think the defensive line has been playing pretty well. Um you know, BC has really, if you think about it, I, I was texting a, you about this late earlier, AJ, like compare la- this year's run defense to last year's where BC was getting gashed every week by every kind of opponent this yep. year. Like I get it. Like Clemson's going to have some big plays, you know, Louisville had some decent runs, but like Wake Forest couldn't run the ball. Uh, you know, UConn had some funky plays. So they got some explosives, but you know, down, down base BC, it, it is so much better than it was last year. Uh, you're seeing a lot of different guys play defense tackle. You know, you've got the two, Older guys in, in Boozy and Horsley. You've got Quan Williams rotating in. Owen Stoudemire's playing snaps and doing pretty well. Isaiah Henderson has taken a step forward. So, and the defensive ends have actually been pretty decent as well. So, I, I would push back on defensive line. Offensive oh, yeah. line, yep. yeah, I, I can see it, but it, you know, you, you're just not seeing some of those younger guys he has recruited play. Right. Because it, it's the offensive line. It goes back to the transfer portal issue, which we're not getting into here, but yeah. if it's recruiting, yeah, I, I, I wrote a whole thing about that. Go back and read it. If you want my thoughts on exactly, it. Exactly. So we'll get, we'll get into some more discussion in a moment and let's go to the defensive side of the ball after in just a moment, we're going to get into how there's a specific area of the defense that has been been lacking. And even if the BC offense defense has been playing re- relatively well, it hasn't been doing the offense any favors. We'll get into that us a moment now our partners at nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the locked on network entitled thrilling moments in college football the thrilling designs behind the new lineup from nissan are intended to empower drivers and vehicles as capable as the drivers themselves when i think of unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moments it has to be luke keekley in 12 2011 against Miami. Now this was a season kind of similar to what BC has now where BC was not very good. And it was the season finale, nothing on the line. BC goes down to Coral Gables. Luke Heakley basically took the game over himself, including a pick six off Jacoby Harry Harris. Uh, This talk about the most thrilling moment. This was the great one. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you all in the new frontier Armada or Pathfinder today available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, folks, this is AJ black. Thank you all for listening. And if you are listening on YouTube right now, see a whole bunch of you on there today. And I love seeing you here. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on the locked on YouTube page takes two seconds. It's the easiest way. If you want to support this podcast and get BC video sent directly to you, it's free. It's easy. And it helps us tremendously. All right. The defense, the defense, again, it's been kind of the same problems that they had last year. uh, And in a lot of senses where they're just asked to do a ton of stuff because the offense can't stay on the field. The offense can't put up points. So they're asked to basically try to save the game. And you, as we saw against Clemson and Wake Forest, they just kind of, you know, wear down and they, they're not able to do that. But even against some of the other teams, like against UConn, they played well, but they were lack, they had zero turnovers. They had, 
the pressures weren't there. They were not having, and I believe you're calling it the splash plays. They were missing. Mm-hmm. Talk to me, Mitch, about this. Like it's should have the defense that's been lacking for BC this season. Yeah. I mean, so splash plays can be, I would say any, you can kind of have a, take a narrow version of it where it's just turnovers. You could take a broad definition of it where it includes like tackles for loss, uh, sacks, you know, maybe big passes broken up or anything, you know, depends on how you want to do it. But the point is, it's like, BC is not having these explosive plays on defense, you know, not, not helping out their offense in that way. You know, you're not, you're still not seeing them get a lot of, you know, converting their pressures on the quarterback to sacks. Um, you know, I know Donovan is a rock who had a sack in this game. Um, that was a good play. You know, he's basically unblocked on a blitz. So, but still that that's good to see, but yeah, I mean, you're just not seeing this team force turnovers, even against bad offenses. Um, sorry about that. <clears throat> um, and that that's a problem because like you're not giving the like we've seen how BC's turnovers have helped other teams' offenses. You know, even just look at the UConn game. Like BC's first two drives were turnovers that set UConn up in good field position. They got a field goal off one and they missed a field goal off another. Uh, and you know, you I think you know even in this game for the BC defense, like holding a team even a bad team like UConn 13 points is solid, especially with how many drives they had. And consider that I think all of their. Uh, all their scoring came well, except for the first, the opening drive where BC and, you know, I, I know this is going to sound bad, but you know, with that one, you can kind of explain it like, all right, like first play of the game, you know, it's a bad tackle. It's an explosive play. Uh, you know, maybe that wakes defense up and then they focus the rest of the game. Uh, but the other drives, you know, you have the offense giving UConn good field position. That's how they scored their points. So, you know, that's, that was a big issue we saw with BC's defense last year as well, but you know, it's hard to say like, how do you get those explosives? Because again, like there is something to turn over luck with fumbles. Cause BC has forced decent amount of fumbles this year. You know, you think about uh, the two they forced against Rutgers couldn't recover either. They forced one against Sam Hartman. Couldn't recover it. Uh, the two muff punts by Clemson, uh, both like within the BC 20, that could have been huge. Um, and, but then and also like, you're not seeing them get a lot of interceptions. Now I think part of that is game scripts, you know, as the game, as these games kind of become blowouts, you know, the team, the opposite team isn't throwing the ball as much. Um, so, you know, you're not getting as many opportunities to intercept the ball. Uh, yeah, they've played some run heavy opponents like uh, Rutgers and Virginia Tech and stuff like that. So, and I mean, you, you're seeing some tackles for loss, but not a lot. I mean, and the, the thing that, you know, I would say we have seen an improvement in aside from run defense, like I mentioned earlier, is that, you know, you think back to 2020, the, beast, the defense had a, a big issue giving up explosive plays. And I would say that, and I know there was one really big one, in, or maybe one or two against UConn, but I, like I mentioned against Wake Forest, like they made Wake earn every single yard, every single point they used, they had to get, because it was like no plays, like more than, I think 20 or 30 yards. It was 30 yards and the longest one was on that third and 25, which again, bad, but I'm just saying like, you know, if you make a team, you know, work for those points, like that is encouraging, you know, aside as opposed to just, you know, letting them have these big explosive plays, which is something that wake relies on. Um, But yeah, I mean, the lack of explosive plays on defense is a huge issue because, you know, with sacks, you know, in terms of like EPA and expected points added and, how much that can change the game sacks are almost equal to that of a turnover because in terms of the, the rate at which they kill drives and the, the way they kind of affect field position. Um, and BC is just not getting enough of that. And uh, you mentioned to me, like, should they be playing different players? And, you know, in terms of like Nito Akpala over Marcus Valdez. And I mean, I would, I said no, because, you know, Ezraku is still playing well, you know, he's, I, but I think Ezraku would be in a better suited if he was like the number two guy. Yep. Um, but he's kind of has to be the premier guy. Whereas Valdez is, Again, Valdez is kind of a, again a solid too because he's he's very smart. He knows where to be, and he has a good motor. But he just 
lacks the speed and athleticism that allows players who have that ability to convert their pressures into sacks. You know, a lot of times we see Valdez just be a second or half a second late to getting the sack. And, you know, sometimes that can just affect the throw and that's good. But, you know, we've seen other times where they still complete the throw and that's, you know, really frustrating. So again, I'm not, I'm not sure how you, I, I think at this point, I think one thing you might be able to blame it on is, you know, I think the defenders at, t- at times are playing cautious because they don't want to give up that big play. They don't want to, you know, give the off, give the opposing offense an opportunity to break the game wide open. They want to be a little more conservative. Um, so the, you know, the game doesn't get out of hand. They want to, you know, give, give the offense a better shot. So maybe you're not, you know, you're seeing them be, and this is, I guess, specifically with regards to like interceptions and trying to go for fumbles and with going for fumbles, you know, with some of the tackling issues you saw earlier in the year, maybe they've just been coached. Hey, like focus on the tackle. Don't worry about ripping the ball out unless you've got like a great opportunity to do so. So, you know, I think that that, I think it might not even be a coaching thing. It might just be, be kind of like a mentality thing where a guy's just thinking in his head, all right, like I got to just do my assignment and, I'm not going to freelance because that might blow the game open. All right. Uh, in a moment, Mitch and I are going to kind of wrap this conversation up because it's, it, this is interesting. We, we've kind of gone over both sides of the ball. We've seen some of the issues and yeah, you know, I think some folks in our comment section have been getting to some uh, other points. I want to get to those really quickly. Asher one Oh one three. It's the inability to move the sticks. Every play felt like either a gain of 40 yards, a loss of three yards or a turnover. Mm-hmm. Sounds like basically it's the entire season. Yeah, yep. and that I would say that's offensive line because you know I think that at the times when you have seen BC be able to run the ball and you know don't they, when they don't fall behind the chains, you know where it's you know second and four, second and six and then like third and two and even then it's still kind of a toss up. But you know when you can run the ball effectively, you can at least keep your offense on schedule and that opens the playbook and you don't have to be relying on crazy big plays. All right, in just a moment. We're going to look at Halfley as a coach and his ability to make adjustments, how that has, has been a major issue just in his own coaching style. We'll get to that in just a moment. But folks out there, if you know me, I've talked about my issues with sweating. I'm a, I'm a sweaty guy, and when I hate when I have to wear a dress shirt and it's hot out uh, because – I'm risking, you know, embarrassing sweating stains and it makes, you know, pictures look bad if I'm at a wedding or an event, it just looks unprofessional. So that's why I have turned myself into a sweat block guy. Sweat block was created by a doctor to help with his own excessive sweating. It's really that effective. It is so good. Uh, and they have sweat wipe, uh, sweat block wipes are must have for everyone's toiletry bag, whether it's a big presentation or a hot date, everyone can benefit. So basically you can throw those in your bag and you know, um, that it's, it's something that's going to make you sweat. You bring the sweat uh, block wipes with you. You don't ever have to worry about that. That's peace of mind right there. And if you or someone, you know, in love is experiencing embarrassing sweat, or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% off with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. It's also available at Amazon. All right. So we're back. We're talking with Mitch Wolf of Eagle Insider. And um, we're getting into some of the things that went wrong. And yeah, there's issues with recruiting, I think. Uh, we, I, I still, I still need to see more. I still think overall arching, I, I know people just want to just ignore it, but the offensive line really still is a major issue. And 
I, I know there's major other things that are going along with this, and I'm not making excuses for Halfley here. I'm just saying that if I was to make a big one, that that's that's it right there. So the last piece I want to talk about is one of the things that Steve Adazio got dinged on a lot, which is his in-game management. He just didn't add plays. He was either too conservative or just didn't make any sense. And it feels like we're starting to get into that pattern with Halfley. Mitch, talk a little bit about how his adjustments and things that he's doing haven't really progressed for a third-year head coach. Yeah, so and I think part of this goes to the fact that, you know, this is Halfley's first time being a head coach. I get it's third year, but still, um, you know, I, th- I think we, we talked about how, you know, for the first few years, he's done a decent job of trying to surround himself with guys who have some of that experience. You know, he has Rob Chidzitsky on his staff as a former NFL head coach. Uh, he's got... You know, Frank Signetti had been around for a while. Um, and you know, John McNulty's been around for a while too. Not and not sometimes as a play caller, but you know, he's you know been very willing to like seek help from people. But at the end of the day, there's just a lot of questionable decisions that he makes. Um, you know, a lot of like his end of half management is very strange sometimes. Uh, again, some most of the time being too conservative. Um fourth down calls and you know this year it's a little tougher because again last year was tough because you know last year you don't have your starting quarterback this year you don't have a serviceable offensive line uh but even if you go back to like 2020 just some weird stuff he does like with just the way that the game is being called um i think one thing that i've i was kind of looking into is that you know since 2020 again you know quarterback play issues last year this year offensive line issues but you've seen bc's red zone the number of drives you're able to get in the red zone and their ability to convert those drives for touchdowns has absolutely plummeted. Um, so, you know, that that's a huge issue. Cause if, if you're getting the red zone, like you need to be able to score touchdowns and that's something where BC has completely fallen off the map. Um, and with Halfway and like his inability to make adjustments. And again, I, I think sometimes we can over inflate the importance or, you know, how many adjustments can really be made. Uh, but I, I still think you're seeing from, even like from a game to game basis, you know, at least in between, you're seeing just a bit of stubbornness and, you know, in terms of how he wants to call the game specifically offensively, um, you know, with the plays that they're calling the people they're using. And I think part of this, and this is, this goes to some of the comments he made this week where he said, you know, we've got older guys out there who are, you know, playing really hard, they're competing. So I'm not going to bench them just to get younger guys, more snaps. And, people rightfully so were kind of bristled at that comment. And I, I think I would agree with them because and I, I get where he's coming from. Like you, you don't want to bench players who are, you know, who are trying very hard just because, and because essentially you're saying, all right, like you're trying your best and it's just not good enough. And I think Halfley doesn't want to do that to his guys. I, I think at the end of the day, like, I think he is just very loyal and I think he struggles to make that really tough decision in terms of the on-field play. Cause I think, I think he knows that his players are trying very hard. You know, you aren't seeing them give up in games, but at some point you have to cut bait and like, make, like make like the decision with Jack Conley, like that took way too long to make to finally get Jude Barry in the lineup, you know? Right. He, and even some of the younger guys like that are getting a lot of snaps, like Jeremiah Franklin, who is a guy that I've, you know, really not been impressed with how he's played. And he had a, you know, game ceiling fumble to end this game and he's just not been effective. So I think, you know, some of that loyalty slash stubbornness is commendable, but when you're, when your team is performing this, this, this poorly, I think you'd have to see that it's, and you know, you have to understand that, you know, what, whoever is playing this hard, like it's like their 
quality of on-field play is just not good enough to create a winning football team right now. So, you know, I think that's kind of the issue. And, you know, I, I did write the article saying that I think it's time for them to move on. Um, I don't think they will because, well, at least, especially in the middle of the season, because that's just not what BC does. Um, you know, Halfley had his comments saying he feels very comfortable with his job security. Uh, I think that will, I, 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 I again, I, I said he probably has until 2024. I, I think that this loss may have shifted at least a year forward. Um, but I mean, maybe they'll make a surprising decision and actually move on from him at the end of the year, because I, I think, and this is what I wrote in the article saying, like, I don't think Halfley is a, I think, I don't think he's a bad football coach in terms of all the variables you need to take into account. Like he has been a good recruiter. He's elevated BC's recruiting profile by a significant amount. I think he is a good motivator. You know, this team hasn't quit yet. I just think that the, some of the, you know, minutia of coaching in game and, you know, making those adjustments, all that, I think he's just not ready for that yet. Um, And I mean, it makes sense. Again, he hasn't been head coach before, but he just hasn't developed those skills in three years he's been here. And, you know, at this point when the college football landscape is shifting so rapidly, I think you need a guy with a little more of that experience to be at the helm. Right. And it gets back to the, the, you know, I talked about it on yesterday's show, but like you're going towards the, the current college football landscape. And if you want to be a completely different program and run at your own pace and good luck. Right. But like other programs are cutting coaches a lot faster than BC is. And I know BC, I know BC is, I know fatherly. He has that thing where he just wants to hold on to coaches for, for far too long, but you know, I, I think I'm I'm there with Mitch. Like I, 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 you know, he's been nothing but lovely to me. And however, I still think he's not the right coach. Right. Uh, right. I think the right coach at the right time. I think that right. that's kind of my thing. It's like, I think that, you know, I think if he, you know, goes back to being a coordinator and then maybe gets a head coach job at a, at a lower level, in a, you know, maybe, you know, he develops those skills and then, becomes a head coach at a power five program later down the road. And he could be a lot better. Um, I, I just right. think that right now, I think this was just, I think right now it's just a bit too big for him. Right. And so we're going to have to wait and see. And, and, you know, the big, the big thing that we don't know about because it's such a isolated program, like BC, like, as I've said at the beginning of the, the beginning of the season, um, when, when folks, when I, when I was able to go to some of the practices and then folks, I have not been able to go and I've been open about this. I've not been able to the, media stuff over the last month or so. I've just had too much family stuff that I can't get there. Um, and there could be some culture stuff we don't know about either. Some, you know, players, stuff, stuff going on with players. Who knows? That that could be the only thing that I can think of that could expedite this even faster. But we don't know if that's something that's happening or if that's, you know, if, if things are cool, I, I I still agree with you. I think he's probably going to, they're going to give him another, another year. And he said today, I know it's just coach speak, but he said, I feel very confident when uh, Trevor, Trevor Haas from the globe asked him, I feel very confident about my future with BC. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see Mitch. So you're going to, you, do you still want to come back and talk about Duke on Thursday? Uh, I guess. <laughs> See, I mean, I, I'm kind of interested to like, you know, get a closer look at Duke, given that, you know, they were, they were kind of so, you know, um, idiosyncratic with David Cutcliffe as their head coach. I'm kind of interested to see like what Mike Elko has done to that program now that they're again, like kind of making this big transition to, you know, actually trying to be a, a real team in college football. Cause I think, I think with David Cutcliffe, it was just kind of this, 
weird little sideshow they were doing besides uh, <laughs> aside from their basketball program at that school. Yeah. I, I want you to address this question before we go. This team hasn't quit. Are we watching two different teams? Yeah, I mean, just because they're playing bad doesn't mean they quit. Um, I, I feel like when I'm watching these games through to the end, you know, I, I know that the other teams are better than them, um, or, well, at least Clemson Wake Forest, where I would still, I can't what I'm saying, so I would probably still argue that, you know, if BC played UConn again, they might win, but I'm probably wrong, so whatever. But, uh, I, I like, I'm still seeing guys trying hard. They're still, like, fighting to get to the ball. Um, so, you know, if you're watching closely towards the end of the game, like, you are, I, I feel like you are seeing uh, guys that are still, you know, giving their all. And, you know, even even for the fact that, you know, this was a, a bad game throughout, you know, but the defense did still, like, you know, they, you know, were playing for the entire game. They weren't just, like, giving up. You're like, all right, the offense isn't doing anything, so we're just going to quit. Um you know, I, I think that that is at least encouraging to some right. extent, as much as you, as much as you, if you can find anything encouraging about this team, I think you can, I think at least I would make that argument. All right. I want to thank all the commenters that have been on and you can join us. We usually do our po- uh, streams anywhere between eight and nine o'clock. It's usually when I can get my kids to bed. Um, and so you could check that out, join the comment sections. I'll try to get many of you on there. There's so many, I couldn't even get to them today. And uh, thank you all. If you have not hit the subscribe button, hit that subscribe button on YouTube right now uh, to get notified for more videos and support our podcasts for Mitch Wolf. This is AJ black. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, and I'm going to be joined by JJ Jackson of Locked On Blue Devils uh, for Thursday's episode. And uh, you'll want to hear that to hear a little bit about the Blue Devils and hear me uh, talk about BC a little bit. So uh, for Mitch, this is AJ. See you soon. Bye.